Welcome to Financial Advisors Say the Darndest Things. I am your host, A.B. Ridgeway. If you're looking for faith-based financial advice that you can actually understand, then you've come to the right place. On this show, we demystify all the financial jargon that you may hear from your financial advisor. We leverage proven financial strategies, but use faith-based principles for guidance. And during this process, we pray for discernment so we can understand the things that work for you. See, this program is for the beginner. Those who want to learn about finances, but doesn't have the time or willingness to go get a master's of business administration and finance or sit through an eight hour online course to figure out what a bond is. So if you are like the other millions of investors that wish they knew what their advisor was talking about, be prepared to be prepared. So sit back and relax. Not if you're driving as we get this show started. Hey, B. Yeah. Cue the music. Let's make this happen. I want to go where the moon shines bright. I want to dance under the stars tonight. Welcome, 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 everybody. We are back for another exciting episode of Financial Advisors Say the Darndest Things. Today, we will be discussing a topic that a majority of people don't even have with their own spouse. So I feel privileged to be able to talk to you today about it. We are talking about wealth languages. Now, this episode will be my opinion, my interpretation, perspective, and key takeaways from this study group that was created by Kale Dow from Kingdom Advisors. I think this is going to be a very important topic for us today because this will give you, the listener, a base on which you will be able to open up a conversation with your spouse and children about how you manage the blessings that God has put into your life. We'll discuss opening the lines of communication with your heirs, discussing your wealth language with your spouse, and how to use discernment when expressing yourself. But first, as always, we're going to open up with a scripture. It comes from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. One of the themes of this show is that no matter what you hear from me, always seek guidance from God and then from other sources. The reason is that I am human as well, and the best part is that my clients give me grace because I give them grace. And by the grace of God, he has brought you here because there may be some insight that you need regarding your finances and your faith. And I'm grateful for it. So let's dive into this subject. This was a staggering statistic when I read it. I'm going to read something to you that I think is important for you to hear. It is from the resource guide that Kel Dow released through Kingdom Advisors. It states, a study conducted by the William Group surveyed that over 3,000 wealthy families and concluded that 70% of those families lost their wealth by the end of the second generation. By the third generation, an incredible 90% of wealth had been lost. While those statistics are sobering, they don't provide much context as to why this is happening. To answer that question, a follow-up study was conducted and the results were staggering as well. Less than 5% of the wealth lost across generations was due to poor investments, legal, or tax advice. In contrast, 95% of the wealth loss was where was rooted in the breakdown of family communication and trust. What that means 
is that somebody wasn't telling the other generations what they should be doing with the money and trust was broken. So maybe they said they were going to do something that they did not do. So 95%. Yes, I know what you're thinking. That is high. And I would agree. At first, I was skeptical because we know that 95% of statistics are 100% wrong. (laughs) I'll give you some time to catch that. But this is a little different. The point is not the high 90% total. The point is that it has little to do with investment advice, taxes, or legal advice, which are the driving force behind our own insecurities. See, we inherit this money and try to save every dollar from taxes, but we lose thousands and sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars because the next generation just doesn't know how to manage the assets as they were intended. So here are some facts about money and communication. Money is the number one source of stress and conflict in marriage and the second leading cause of divorce, according to a Dave Ramsey 2018 study. According to another study by Dave Ramsey, 95, excuse me, 94% of people who claim to have a great marriage talk about money regularly. Now, according to American Express study, 9 of 10 couples actively avoid talking about money. Now, Does any of this sound like any of you, right? So some of us argue about money. Most of us don't talk about it at all. But those who talk about it often and regularly have the greatest success. So these statistics are startling, to say the least. But we are going to demystify some of these ideas and give you some good takeaways you can bring to your next conversation with your loved one. The base of our conversation today is going to be around four wealth languages. That's stability, future, moments, and opportunity. I'm going to repeat those for you. There's stability, there's future, moments, and opportunities. If you're taking notes, there are two questions I want you to keep in mind while listening to this podcast. One, have you ever considered communication breakdowns? as a risk I need to address and mitigate with my family? And two, how well do my spouse and I communicate about money? Do I know his or her wealth language? By the end of this podcast, I hope that you have a better understanding of what wealth languages are and able to communicate with your spouse. So right now, I'm going to paraphrase some of these wealth languages for you for easy digestion. So the first one is stability. Somebody with a wealth language of stability likes to make sure that the lifestyle that you live is taken care of now. They make sure there is enough money for bills and living expenses. As long as they can have their basic needs met, they're happy. And they become stressed when it is threatened by emergencies or unexpected events. The second wealth language is future. People who have this wealth language is similar to stability as in it is seeking comfort that the basic needs are met. But this wealth language focuses on the future. They are willing to sacrifice immediate satisfaction for the security of knowing their future goals are met. That is to say, they can retire debt-free, they can pay for their kids' education, they can buy a larger house or move to another state. The third love language is moments. This wealth language are those who are trying to create experiences. 
Now, they know that we can't take these assets with us, so they try to make the most of everything that they have. They're the ones with the elaborate birthday parties, the themed Christmas gatherings, and trips to Disneyland. They want to use their money to live their best life now. Now, the final one is opportunity. This love language is the risk takers. They're willing to give up the security of right now for hopes of something greater in the future. They are dreamers and tend to take on more risk than the average person, but they also have greater rewards. The saying is, you don't get rewarded for the risk that you do not take. They can experience great loss, but that's fine with them. Now, what is your love language? Can you identify with any of these? If you're having trouble figuring out which one you are, you may be held up with your current financial situation, right? Very subjective. If you are low on income, you may choose stability. But if you had an unlimited amount of assets, you might be someone who enjoyed moments. So let me help you out here. You just received $100 million and all of your debts were paid. What would you do? Would you prepay your kids' college education? Would you set up a living trust to make sure that your grandkids get a certain amount of money? Or would you travel the world? So I'm going to give you some time to think about what category you fall into now that you have an unlimited amount of assets. Was it different? Did you have the same wealth language? Now, before we move on, what is your second option? Because this is a spectrum. We won't always be in a stabilizer wealth language. We may be a little future in a little moment. But the idea here is to figure out how we express our wealth language to the ones that we love and how do we approach money situations. The key takeaway here is that when we are trying to figure out what to do with our wealth, we need to open up communication with those that will be affected by it. Your wealth depends on it. And being able to communicate those desires, you can make better financial decisions to ensure that when you pass, that the assets are secured. So now that you understand wealth languages, what are some questions you can ask your heirs or spouse to open up the lines of communication? And keep this in mind. Maybe you don't want to ask questions. How about this? How about we try exercise here? What you're going to do, you're going to have both of you write on a sheet of paper what you think the other person's wealth language would be and what they would do with the money if the other would pass. For example, a wife may write down, I believe my husband is going to buy a brand new Corvette. And the husband may write, well, my wife, she's going to give 10% to a local animal shelter. And Trust me, you may be surprised at what the other may do, but remember, this is not a place to judge. It is a place to understand and open up lines of communications. Once you both agree on what you want to occur, it will be a great time to visit an estate attorney and draft up a living trust to make sure that those promises are fulfilled. See, in the trust, the attorney can put in the exact language necessary to make sure assets are allocated properly by the trustee. Uh-oh. I almost forgot, this is financial advisors say the darndest things. And, and you're probably scratching your head right now wondering, what is a living trust? Why don't I have it and do I need it? 
So in FASDT style, we're going to break down the word living trust so you can have a better understanding of what I was talking about. Now, this is the definition according to Investopedia. A living trust is a legal document created during an individual's lifetime where a designated person called the trustee is given responsibility for managing the individual's assets for the benefit of the eventual beneficiaries. A living trust is designed to allow for the easy transfer of the trust creator or settler's assets while bypassing the often complex and expensive legal process of probate. Living trust agreements designate a trustee who holds legal possession of assets and property that flow into the trust. The key takeaway here is a living trust designates a trustee to manage assets for the beneficiary while the grantor is still alive. Trustees with fiduciary duty manage trust according to the beneficiary's best interest. And living trust can be either irrevocable, meaning they can't be changed, or revocable, meaning they can be changed. In basic, basic terms, it just doesn't give the property to someone like any will that has to go through the courts. It outlines how that property is used and that is executed by the trustee, someone who is responsible for making sure that it happens. Now, back to the point here. We want to make sure that the person we are trusting with our wealth understands our intentions. So the key takeaway is to find someone you trust, quote unquote trustee, and have the conversation around what to do with the wealth. If you don't share the same wealth language, you can always place stipulations in the living trust to mitigate that risk. If you know your heir is going to buy an exotic car for, let's say, $200,000 as soon as he gets it, then you may add that he has only allocated $50,000 for the first four years and cannot exceed cash withdrawals of $100,000 after that. Also, 10% of the request withdrawal amount must be given to, insert your favorite church here, Keep in mind, you need to speak to a lawyer to make sure that the language you put into the living trust is legally binding and is what you really want. But the idea here is that you can have instructions. So not just give your heirs a lump of money, but also outline how that money should be spent according to your wishes. Because in a will, you say, hey, I have property here. I want to give it to Johnny. Hey, I have property here. I want to give it to Jane. You know, I want to give 10% to this charity. But... There may be some stipulations or maybe some assets that you don't want to be spent on an exotic car. You know, maybe you want to go to your grandchild, something like that. So we are going to take a quick break. I know I threw out a lot of financial terms, a lot of different concepts. We learned about stability. We learned about future opportunity moments, wealth languages. There was a lot of statistics. So I want to take a break at this point, let you digest some of the things we're we're talking about and go into our lesson for the day. The writing is called a detachment from attachment. And the key takeaway here is learning to let go. We all love something in this world, but the world is dynamic. What is here today may not be here tomorrow. So in this episode, we tackle the psychological phenomenon of attachment, our natural inclination to cling to things that we love. We aren't talking about people. That is a different story. We are speaking of material things that this world has positioned us to worship other than God. It is up to us to see through this deception and learn to love and let go and that we are in control of what should be loved and God should be on the top of that list. 
This is A.B. Ridgeway, and I'll see you on the other side of this blessing. We're going to open up in a prayer because I think today's subject, we're going to need God's help. So close your eyes and bow your head as we speak to our Lord and Savior. Dear God, many of us who are listening have suffered a loss, a loss of a loved one, a loss of an opportunity, or simply the loss of salvation. We pray that you open their hearts and their eyes today, Lord, so that your message will touch their spirit, that they understand that the emotional pain that they feel is real, Lord, that whenever one of your creations is removed from our lives, we feel that emptiness. But today, we aren't talking about the attachment to our loved ones. We are speaking of the attachment to the material things of this world. The things that man has created and have set up as things to be worshipped other than you. And we pray for clarity to see through this deception and realize that it doesn't matter if all things are taken away from us as long as we still have you. Until that day comes. Amen. Today's writing is titled, We Suffer When We Lose, We Lose When We Attach. See, there is nothing wrong with having an affinity for something. It is actually encouraged to enjoy the pleasures of this world. The world is a big and beautiful place. Once we realize we are part of the world and not separate from it, we would be more inclined to preserve its beauty and add to it. Where the trouble with attachment comes in is when that pleasure becomes embellished and elaborated. The true reality of the situation is exaggerated to such a point that it becomes mystical. The game-winning shot in a high school tournament turns into the greatest basketball play in their high school history, causing men to cling to 30-year-old memories like Al Bundy throwing five touchdowns in one game. The attachment to memories can be wonderful but there is only one problem. They tend to be romanticized or extremely dramatized. Rarely can we see past events with any type of objectivity. But why should we? Because it's not what you do, but how you feel about what you did. Did you catch that? Life is a feeling process. How happy or sad you are is in your head. The same with attachment. It is not in the attachment to an event or thing, but is the belief system that we create around it. And in most cases, it is the inflation of its imaginary value. We have every right to designate any value we want to to an event or thing. Who am I to tell you how much to value your favorite toy? Who am I to tell you that your high school graduation wasn't the greatest accomplishment in your life? or that your new car is your symbol of financial success. I can't and I won't. My point is this, when we attach to something so hard that we believe that it is permanent, we set ourselves up for disappointment. In my short years on this earth, I realized that everything has its time and everything has its place. I can't help but look at my dear old hometown of Sacramento, California, and realize that the city that I grew up in is nowhere to be found. I said all this to say this. When we lose something, the emotional pain of the loss comes from the attachment itself 
and not that which has been lost. Our bond to a thing is a spiritual and mental one. Do you remember losing the Pop Warner Championships and the heartbreaking sadness that you felt? And now as an adult, are you still attached to that competition or is that attachment broken? Can you see how you may have inflated the value of that trophy? Because now you have new things to attach to. It says in the Bible in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the key takeaway is this. If you find yourself with an obsessive attachment to something, remember that one day God may strip you of that thing as he did Job, and that we are here to enjoy the things God has provided for us and not attached to them. Just because you are not attached doesn't mean that you do not love something. Those are two separate things. I love fitness, but I'm not attached to the results. I'm focused on just showing up and doing the workout. I love my investment firm, but I'm not attached to gaining buku clients. I'm focused on serving the ones I have. So as the scripture says, be patient and the peace of God will guard your heart. So how do you prepare for the loss? You don't. You love until you can't love anymore and be satisfied that you didn't miss a second. And that is something to truly smile about. I pray that you've been blessed. Wow, I hope that you enjoyed this writing. Did you learn something today? What were your key takeaways? When we are talking about wealth, we must understand that it all belongs to God. We are just meant to be good stewards over it. And hopefully, after this podcast, you will teach the next generation to be good stewards over their wealth. As we approach our last topic, it is more for the married couples. So hold your spouse's hands as we get a little bit more intimate and talk more about these wealth languages. Now, can you guess what is the number two reason behind infidelity as a cause of divorce? Well, if it was anything other than money, I don't think that I would have brought it up today. But yes, it is money. And if you think it is just the lack of money, you would be wrong. We usually imagine two people at a kitchen table with bills spread out and playing the blame game, dissecting every purchase for the past month, and asking the other why they ate Chick-fil-A when dinner was already cooked at home. I am not saying that these situations don't exist, but I am saying that just because you have money doesn't mean you won't have money issues. See, Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages, which is the basis for this lesson on wealth and opening up communications. If you haven't read that book, it may be a good idea to write it down on your list of good reads next to your list of good podcasts where I hope that you have financial advisors say the darndest things. Now, <laughs> I think that, e I think, to be honest with you, I think they even have an online survey to help you pick your love language as well. So you may not even have to go get the book. You can probably take some online surveys and, and kind of get a gist for, for what they're talking about. But I'm always supporting authors 
and their work. So yes, buy the book as well if you can. The reason I bring this up is that Kel challenges us to express our wealth languages to our spouses, giving them an inside look on how we express ourselves when it comes to money. And in this case, silence is not golden. According to a study with Dave Ramsey, 95% of people surveyed would rather choose not to speak about finances. And this stance can create more problems than it solves. This is not an interrogation room. Rather, it is best when framed as an opportunity to explore how each of us uniquely view the use of money. It is intended to be a fun exercise, not an annual review of investment choices. The big takeaway that we are trying to figure out is what motivates us when it comes to money. Some of us can't enjoy an exotic vacation knowing that we are $5,000 in debt. Or some of us don't want to live a basic life and want to live in a mansion or go to explore the seven seas. Obviously, I'm stating material possessions at this point. But charitable giving can cause just as much friction in a relationship as frivolous spending, which we call conspicuous consumption. Maybe a spouse gives more to charity than the other feels is necessary and it is threatening their sense of stability while the other spouse is creating moments with the charity that they do give to. Now, I encourage each of you to have a deepened conversation with your advisor so he can understand you and your situation. This is not an overnight process and won't be solved within one hour client meeting. As your advisor grows with you and your perspective on money changes, make sure that you express it to them as well. Even though they are not your spouse, having an open, honest line of communications about your finances, which they are helping you with, will increase your probability of success. So my suggestion is the next time that you speak about finances or making a purchase, I want you to listen to this podcast again and reintroduce yourself to the four wealth languages. I'm going to go over them once again for a summary here. Stability. The common traits are you're focused on the near term. You're typically risk adverse. You have a strong sense of creating financial security for themselves or for others. You use money as means to make you feel at home. Sound like you? Future. The common traits are they're focused on the future. They are typically more risk adverse than opportunity or moment people, but they have a strong sense of checking the financial boxes to secure a predictable future. They use money as means to make smooth the road toward future goals of retirement, college tuition for kids, estate planning. Moments. They're usually focused on the near term, motivated by experiences and memories, money viewed as a tool to maximize the experience of life, less concerned about risk. Opportunity. Their common traits are focused on the long term, motivated by opportunities that pay dividends, most willing to take risk, money viewed as tools to create more opportunity for themselves and other people at their best they're builders and risk takers that surround themselves with trusted advisors and help others take calculated risk. Well, I hope that you've been blessed and could take at least one thing away from this podcast. Remember those two questions at the very beginning. Have I ever considered communication breakdowns as a risk I need to help address and mitigate with my family? And two, how well do my spouse and I communicate about money? Do I know his or her wealth language? So after listening to this podcast, has your perspective changed? 
Do you understand your wealth language better? Well, I hope that you've been blessed until the good Lord allows us to speak to each other again. I am A.B. Ridgeway, and I will see you on the other side of your blessing. This was created by A.B. Ridgeway, owner of A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management, a virtual and in-person fee-only advisor that believes that financial advice should be custom-made. If you need help figuring out your finances, feel free to reach out to us at 337-414-3686 or visit our website at www.abrwealthmanagement.com and schedule a free consultation. At our firm, we practice what we preach. So if you need more information or a better explanation of what you heard today, give us a call and we'll love to have a discussion on how we can serve you. I'm A.B. Ridgeway and I'll see you on the other side of your blessing. A.B., yeah, cue the music. These people got places to go and things to do. I want to go where the moon shines bright. I want to dance under the stars tonight. Elijah Warren Ridgeway is an investment advisor representative and owner of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management LLC, a registered investment advisor which produces the podcast show and makes it available on his website and through other distribution channels. Elijah Ridgeway and any guests on the podcast are providing their own views and opinions and are not necessarily the views and opinions of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management. Nothing on the podcast show should be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any Pacific security. Investment advisory services are only provided to investors who become AB Ridgeway Wealth Management client pursuant to a written investment management agreement. Clients of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management may hold positions in securities discussed in the podcast. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk and may lose money. Financial advisors say the darndest things. Financial advisors say the darndest thing podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for any investment decisions. Instead, please consult with a financial advisor, accountant, attorney, and or conduct your own due diligence.